Buenos dias! Welcome to another daily devotion. I am your host once again, Pastor Jesse. It's nice to see you. We are almost done with our reading plan through the New Testament. Uh, we today are going to be in Revelation chapter 2 verses 12 through 29. And actually today we're going to focus entirely on 12 through uh, 17. Uh, and that's because there's so much here that I think it would take us an hour probably to get through the whole, the whole chapter. So we're going to do our best uh, to, to get through this uh, as a devotion today. Um, so here we go. Write to the angel of the church in Pergamum. So I did some work here for you. And I have some pictures of Pergamum. So here you go. Pergamum. Um, this is in modern day Bergamum, Turkey. And uh, you can see here, um, there are a lot of, I think it's, there was a museum in Germany that in the 1800s um, started to do the work of um, digging, you know, digging up what they can find. And so these are pictures of, like, if you go there right now, you'll see a lot of these um, images um, in, in person. And so also, so uh, the Encyclopedia Britannica says that Bergama is 12 miles from this Aegean Sea in Turkey. So there's Again, Bergama is right here. Give you a little bit of a bigger picture. Pretty close to Greece. Some of that. So keep in mind, you're looking at the arrow. That's where it is in the grand scheme of things. All right. So here we go. Pergamum was a city of about 200,000. So think... In Indiana, if, if you're familiar with Indiana, Evansville is a city of about 200,000. Fort Wayne is about 250, and South Bend is about 180. So um, those, in our area, it's like Indianapolis, Fort Wayne, South Bend, uh, and so, or sorry, Evansville, and then South Bend. So uh, if that gives you any kind of perspective, those are communities that are very large, highly populated areas. Uh, and so, um, this is a letter uh, that was written, uh, hope, I don't know if your Bible has it written in red or not, but this is, uh, John is writing down the words um, of Jesus, and so that's why it's in red. He says this, thus says the one who has the sharp double-edged sword. So, this is, uh, I think referring to two different things. Um, so number one, for sure, he's referencing, he's going back here to um, Revelation chapter one, and I think it's verse 16, let's see. Yep. Uh, this is uh, John recording what he sees uh, Jesus look like. And so he says, starting in verse 12, I turn to see the one I turned to see whose voice it was that spoke to me. When I turned, I saw seven gold lampstands. Among the lampstands was one like the Son of Man, um, 
which is a name for Jesus, dressed in a robe with a golden sash wrapped around his chest. The hair of his head was white as wool, white as snow, and his eyes were like a fiery flame. His feet were like fine bronze as it is fired in a furnace, and his voice like the sound of cascading waters. He had seven stars in his right hand, a sharp double-edged sword came from his mouth and his face was shining like the sun at full strength so for sure uh verse 13 or 12 here in uh, chapter 2 is for sure talking about it's it's clearly referring to to jesus uh, but not only that i think that this is also a potential um the book of revelation is estimated to have been written somewhere around uh, 8095 or 96. Um, it, it seems to be significantly less disputed than just about all the other books. Uh, but the book of Hebrews also, if you want to uh, turn back there real quick, uh, Hebrews chapter 4, and uh, it also refers to um, this sword if you will here we go verse 12 hebrews 4 12 it says for the word of god is living and effective and sharper than any double-edged sword penetrating as far as the separation of soul and spirit joints and marrow it is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart and no creature is hidden from him and all things are naked and exposed to the eyes of him who we must give an account think about this that the sword uh, that he's talking about here, the one who has the sharp double-edged sword in, in his mouth, uh, the words that come out of his mouth. Oftentimes, uh, you see uh, John also calls Jesus, in, especially in the book of John in particular, the Word of God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And so the word that Jesus has that comes out of his mouth is able to pierce through bone and marrow, judging the intentions of the heart. Uh, that is both awe-inspiring in a good way and scary in the other way. Uh, you know, to know that every thought you have, uh, it, it, it's going to be... Uh, think, think about it like this. I mean, um, sorry, I don't mean to scratch my head in front of you, but um, I used to work processing deer. And uh, one of the things that we had to, to do um, was after, uh, so the hunters would, would gut them most of the time, not always, but most of the time they'd gut them out in the field. That's called field dressing them. And so then they would bring them in. And so we would have to then skin them. Uh, if there was any, uh, organs or anything left inside, we'd have to remove those. Uh, and then they would take them into the cooler where they would cool the body off because the meat is so much easier to cut when it's, um, not frozen, but close to frozen. Um, and so when it's cold and when it's hot, it, it's, for one, the meat smells a little bit. Uh, and <laughs> I don't know why I'm telling you that, but uh, it, it doesn't smell. It's a lot easier to work with when it's cold. And so uh, then they take it into uh, the table where, you know, they'll cut off a piece that they want to work with, take it in, 
and then you know you have your order of how many steaks and how much uh, ground meat they want and all that stuff and I only ever worked on the ground beef part because I wasn't any good at the rest of it and so they would hand you like a leg or, or something a giant bone and you would have to then start to separate every aspect of this this meat and so then you're trying to pull out the tendons uh, the, the things that make the meat harder to chew and so uh, it's interesting to me because like several of the times um, we, we would be doing this and we would like there would be a lot of fat in there and we'd be like well every we can tell what kind of deer this was if he was a lazy deer he would have more fat if he was a, a, a younger deer uh, oftentimes he, he would have more fat because uh, the the faster ones, the smarter ones, they're the ones that stay alive longer. Uh, if you catch them, they're the ones that have the bigger antlers. Um, and so those oftentimes are significantly more muscular. Um, but it, it was interesting because there's one time I'm sitting in there with my dad and I was like kind of joking about if somebody were to butcher me, uh, what would they find? Uh, but you think about it, like in many ways, uh, our, our actions and our intentions are all going to be exposed and are exposed before the Lord. And His Word has the ability to cut through just the same way you're taking a knife, cutting through the meat, pulling out the tendons, pulling out the stuff that's hard and chewy uh, that you can't even really digest well. And so this double-edged sword um, is in His mouth. And He says this, I know where you live. Uh, I, th I think um, something that I feel like a lot of Christians deal with, uh, and maybe they don't even do this on purpose necessarily, but sometimes we feel like, um, like we're, we feel unseen, um, or, or even just like a lot of people talk about how they feel unseen, um, like nobody notices them. Uh, nobody understands their environment. Nobody understands who they are or uh, what's going on. Um, and so, like, if, you know, if you're dealing with addiction and you, you live in an area where, like, just everyone is addicted uh, to something, um, or, you know, um, maybe there's, like, I don't know, I, I don't know. But, but oftentimes people feel like, there isn't any understanding on, on other people's parts. Uh, and sometimes we even come to God like that. Like, like there's no way on earth he understands us. Uh, but this here should give us assurance to let us know that God, like he knows where you live. Um, not just in terms of his ability to find you, uh, but in terms of his ability to understand what you're going through. I know where you live where Satan's throne is. Uh, he, he, he's saying this like, like I understand you're in a really horrible area. Uh, I understand that the area that you live in is like the devil is running amok. Uh, you know, oftentimes here you'll hear something like, uh, oh, the United States is going to hell in a handbasket. Uh, that's another way of saying the same thing. Like uh, you're on the... You live in a place where Satan's throne is. Now, I do think that this is interesting 
Um, I don't know if this is the intention or not, but for sure, uh, it is true. One of the things that we saw in our picture uh, when we were looking at pictures of Pergamum is there was a temple there to Artemis uh, and um, potentially to Zeus. There was for sure an altar to Zeus, uh, and they think that maybe uh, at one point in time, probably about when this was written, that there was probably a temple. Uh, and so the, the temple to, um, to Artemis would have been here, and then the altar to Zeus is down here, and they think that at one point in time there was basically one bigger temple. Uh, and in an effort to, um, to worship these particular gods, you would have been forced to uh, participate in the rituals, uh, which would have been a lot of immorality. Um, and so he says this, uh, I know where you live, where Satan's throne is. Uh, yet you are holding to my name and did not deny your faith in me. That's a good thing. You're holding on to my name and did not deny your faith in me. Even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was put to death among you, where Satan lives. He says it again. Um, you, you could think of it like this, where, where he is saying, or Jesus is telling each and every one of us, like, I know that where you live is awful. I know you live in a bad environment. Uh, maybe you live in a high crime rate. And, and Jesus is saying, like, I understand where you are at. Uh, and I'm thankful that you've held on to my name and not denied your faith. Uh, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness who was put to death among you, like, I know that other people who serve me are getting slaughtered. Uh, I understand that there are people around me that are getting killed because they believe in my name, and yet you're holding on to your faith. That is a good thing. Uh, but he says this, I have a few things against you. Uh, you have some there who hold to the teaching of Balaam. Uh, if you don't remember who Balaam is, uh, uh, this is this is interesting because Balaam is actually referred to a lot uh, in the New Testament. And so uh, one of the things that he, I don't know if you remember this, but basically um, this he's, Maybe you could call him like a sorcerer or a, like a, a witch doctor or um, uh, I'm not really sure like what a better name for it would, would be. Um, but basically, uh, one of, there's a king named Balak who um, he knows that Israel has left Egypt. He knows that God has been blessing them and they have been... Uh, they have taken down some just massive kings with massive enterprises, and this guy knows he's next. Uh, he knows he's in the way, uh, and he, he doesn't know why those battles took place, but he knows that these guys are kicking butt because he knows God is on their side. And so he hires Balaam to uh, curse these people, and Balaam uh, actually is... He's, on his way uh, to do it, and he, he's riding a donkey, and there's an angel that has been sent to kill him, and the, dang, the donkey saves his life a couple times, uh, I think three different times, and uh, Balaam just kind of yells at him, and the next thing you know, um, the donkey is talking to Balaam. Um, and Balaam uh, has an opportunity to make things right, um, and then 
hands up standing with Balaam over Balak overlooking the nation of Israel and he, he goes to curse him three different times and, and basically each time he does he goes to speak and God turns it into a blessing uh, and so um, but Balaam is, is super weaselly and according to this you're gonna see here what he creates uh, because he knows he can only bless them. And so he, what he does is he taught Balak to place a stumbling block in front of the Israelites. Uh, remember Jesus said, uh, one of the things that he, he said was a big deal was not to put a stumbling block, especially in front of kids, right? He says it would be better for a millstone to be tied around your neck and thrown into the bottom, bottom of the ocean. Um, but he, he teaches uh, Balak to put a stumbling block in front of the Israelites and the, the things that he teaches them to do are to eat meat sacrificed to idols and to commit sexual immorality. Now these are interesting because both of these things are on the list uh, of things that at the Jerusalem Council they had uh, basically said to Gentiles everywhere these are two things that we you can't do. Um, it says this in the same way you also have those who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Um, and then there's a little thing that says other manuscripts add, which I hate. Uh, so they hold to the teachings of the Nicolaitans and um, they are indulging and eating meat that has been sacrificed to idols and committing sexual immorality. Now, if you remember when we were talking through Corinthians, one of the things Paul said is that like if you eat meat that's sacrificed to idols, but you don't know it, like it's not a big deal. But if somebody, because it's just like it's just uh, wood, it's just a created thing that's been carved into an image. Um, but he does say that if somebody tells you about it, to make sure you don't do it. Uh, and so uh, again, Paul is talking about the law of love in those circumstances. Um, but uh, either way, there's never ever a example of sexual immorality that there's like anywhere close to a like escape clause, so to speak. Uh, and so the question then becomes, um, as we study this text, who are the Nicolaitans? Now, there's a couple of different perspectives. Um, there, there was uh, one time. Uh, this is according to Christianity.com. Um, if you look up um, this particular person, Nicholas, or the Nicolaitans, um, there was somebody mentioned in Acts 6-5, which if you um, have a Bible, you can turn there. I'll just read it to you. Uh, this proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith, and the Holy Spirit, and also Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenius, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert of to Judaism. Sorry, a convert to Judaism. Um, and so here, uh, this is a potential name uh, for somebody who could have been the Nicolaitans. Um, I think um, this isn't for sure uh, by any means, but it, it is something that, that's interesting. Um, there is uh, some evidence uh, that this guy named Nicholas uh, is the same man who appears to convert 
to Christianity in Acts 6-5, but lost his way to a teaching known as Gnosticism, a heretical teaching that swept away many members of the church in the second century. And that the Gnosticism aspect is true, and so uh, there were a lot of people that had left uh, Christianity for this belief, and this belief essentially uh, would, there's a couple points here, uh, the material world is bad, this is also according to Christianity.com, uh, the material world is under the control of evil, ignorance, or nothingness. A divine spark is somehow trapped in some, but not all, uh, humans, and it alone, of all that exists in the material world, is capable of redemption. Salvation is through the secret knowledge by which individuals come to know themselves, their origin, and destiny. Uh, and lastly, since God, a good God, could not have created an evil world, it must have been created by an inferior, ignorant, or evil God. Usually the explanation given is the true good God created or emanated beings, also known as archons, who either emanated or archons or conjugated to produce them until a mishap by Sophia, wisdom, led to the creation of the evil archon who created our world and pretends to be God. Uh, he hides truth from humans, but sparks of Sophia and some humans fill them with an urge to return to the Pleroma, or Divine Realm, where they belong. So essentially, uh, the, the faster and better you can get to the Divine Realm, um, which tends to be a belief, uh, I think, that is consistent with current New Age philosophies. Um, but uh, this isn't uh, true. So they're, they're denying the, the, the sole deity of Christ. Um, they're, they're denying that, that he uh, alone would be both God and man. Uh, they're, they're saying that many of us, uh, if you have this like, little divine spark in you, you can be redeemed. Um, and that you can also essentially be God. And so salvation is through knowledge. We don't, uh, I mean, you could say knowledge of the truth. Uh, there, there's elements of that that are, like, you could say are, are in Christianity, but for sure are not. Uh, and so, no matter what, uh, there, there's no way around it uh, that Jesus considers uh, this encouraging people to eat meat, sacrifice to idols, sexual immorality, and falling away from the gospel, uh, faith alone in Christ, as uh, its reason for salvation, uh, Jesus says to them, repent, otherwise I will come to you quickly and fight against them with the sword in my mouth. In other words, he's going to speak uh, like we were cutting apart those deer. He's going to speak, cut you up. Um, everything will be rightly divided. Uh, and let anyone who has heard ears to hear, listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna. This is interesting because manna represented uh, like bread, right? And so uh, it's a life-sustaining bread. And so Jesus is saying like, I'm going to give you life. Um, I will also give him a white, a white stone and on the stone a new name is inscribed so that no one knows except the one who receives it. Uh, that's a pretty neat promise that he's going to give you a new name. He's going to give you life. Uh, that's amazing. So uh, thank you for joining us today as we study uh, the letter to Pergamum uh, in Revelation chapter 2. Maybe sometime we'll be able to go through the rest of it. But uh, as for now, I think I've, <laughs> we've kept enough of your time. 
Uh, thank you so much for joining us today. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to the channel, click the little bell, and be, you'll be notified when our videos come out, which is every single day. Also, uh, you can support this channel and the church by clicking the link in the description below. Uh, I think that's all that we need to know. We'll see you tomorrow. Peace out, Girl Scouts.